Good afternoon and welcome to today's Capital One Teachable Tuesday webinar as we kick off our fall semester professional development programming. We're pleased to offer this session on making the transition, taking on new roles, building a department culture in athletic communications. Right now, movement and change in college athletic departments, particularly with job transitions and realigning departments in the wake of the pandemic, is at an all-time high, and nearly every athletic communication staff has been affected with those transitions, new hires, realigning duties. And we'll talk about this with four people who, like myself, have recently transitioned into new roles. I am Miles McQuiggan, Assistant Commissioner for Communications with the Colonial Athletic Association and a member of the COSIDA Professional Development and Education Committee. I'll serve as your webinar moderator today, and we appreciate you taking some time to join us. Before we begin and introduce our panelists, we'd like to say a quick thank you to our corporate partner, Capital One, presenting sponsor of COSIDA's Professional Development and Continuing Education Series. Now here are today's guest panelists to give you a little background on who they are, where they are now, and how they got there, starting with Nathaniel Gale from the Missouri Valley Conference. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Gale. As he mentioned, I am now with the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm their Assistant Director for Communications and Digital Strategy. Previously, for the last six years, I worked at Florida Institute of Technology as a Assistant Director for Athletic Communications. And previous to that, I was just an Athletic Communications Assistant as a student and for about nine months as a part-time worker. Awesome, thank you, Nate. Nicole Holcomb from Eastern New Mexico. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nicole Holcomb. I'm currently Sports Information Director at Eastern New Mexico University. Prior to that, um, I was at Guilford College. I've also been a grad assistant at Endicott College, did some time at the College of New Jersey, got my start at Colgate University. Um, so I've bounced around a little bit. Joining us from the great state of Tennessee, John Painter at Maryville. Hello everyone, John Painter. I'm the Assistant AD for Communications here at Maryville. My previous stops uh, in 33 years, 33 years in the business. I uh, started at Auburn, was my first full-time gig, and I was at the NCAA for 12 years. I was back at Tennessee for 11 years, and then I, I was at Colgate for nine years, and I've been here for about five weeks. So happy to be here at Maryville and uh, back in my hometown, so yes. And a new member of one of our staffs within the CAA, Nicole Sassuchum at Delaware. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nicole Sassuchum. I'm currently the Assistant Director of Communications and Creative Services here at the University of Delaware. Previously, I was at Manhattanville College, um, Division Three, and then previously before that, I got my start at SUNY Old Westbury, also Division Three. Awesome. Thank you to the four of you. We're excited to hear from you throughout today. We also want to hear from the people attending and viewing this afternoon's webinar. Send us your questions within the platform. We'd be happy to answer your questions, help you. We're here to help you. You know, this is a unique time in our profession, and that's why we're having webinars like this to help those in the profession with some of our past experiences. You know, the last 18 months in our profession has seen a nearly unprecedented amount of change, turnover and transition, things that so many of our members have experienced in one way or another. The group we have with us today is here to, as we said, make that experience a little easier for those working through those topics right now. And we hope to give you some knowledge from our own experiences in recent times to help those in new jobs, in the hiring process, or those looking to take the next step in their careers. I want to open this up. We're, we're going to have a conversation here. You know, I'm going to lead in uh, someone who we've discussed 
has had some of these experiences and kind of have an open discussion on these topics. Let's start with Nicole Holcomb first on this one. You know, for Nicole, for your move to Eastern New Mexico and then moving up, how can you help contribute to a positive culture in your new role, whether you're in a leadership position or not? Yeah, so I think that's one thing I've definitely had to kind of step into some roles that I didn't necessarily think I was going to when I came to Eastern New Mexico. A little background on that, I came in as a sports information director. Um, the boss who hired me left about two weeks after I started my job. Um, so then I kind of took over the entire office um, in the middle of a spring, still recovering from COVID with no student workers and the only person in the office. Um, I think it's just, you really have to keep in mind that things are gonna be hard, but you do have to stay positive and you have to kind of you know get the work done and, and lean on the people around you. Um, I think that having a good support system and having people who are like-minded and want the same goals and um, have the same interests and, you know, want to do the best for the student athletes at your institution, um, that's kind of the first step is really just finding those people, talking to those people, getting a plan in place and knowing that you're all there to work together and you're going to lean on each other and you're going to come to each other for advice um, and just kind of make it as positive of an experience as you can. John, if you want to touch on that a little bit, just, you know, with your move uh, down to a new role and um, having had experience leading an office in the past, how that's helped you in this role. Yeah, my, my, uh, my story is a little different. I've been living here in Maryville. I was working at, at Tennessee when living here in Maryville. We're just outside of Knoxville. And, you know, the job ended at, at Tennessee, you know, new coach and new AD came in, swept a, swept a bunch of us out. And um, the new the new AD at Missouri was one of those. And she, we, we were, a lot of people were swept out. You know, that's just how it happens. And uh, I was lucky to land at Colgate. You know, we made the decision as a family. So let's keep uh, let's keep looking and see what's going on in sports information in, in Cosida. And we did. And we found a great opportunity at Colgate. As a matter of fact, I worked for nine years right across the hallway from Nicole Holcomb's mom. And so, uh, so that was always a, a real treat, you know, uh, seeing her every day. But, and, you know, when Nicole was uh, going through school, she wasn't at Colgate, but she was helping us quite a bit. But we had a, I had a great, um, great situation there. You know, uh, the, the painters made it work. You know, it's not the way they draw it up in the marriage handbook, I like to say. Uh, but, you know, we made it work and our kids were in high school. And so then there was a chance for, to help get them into college. And as a matter of fact, one of you know, my oldest son came to Colgate, youngest son came right next door to Marshall State and he finished at Binghamton. So that was a great situation. Meanwhile, my, my wife, Mary Margaret, bless her heart, she was keeping it, keeping it going down here in, uh, at Maryville and making the real money in the family, I always say. And, but yeah, so that was our base and, um, and we made it work. And so I, I decided, so last summer during the COVID shutdown, I was home for 150 days. I mean, I normally would be home for a couple of weeks at a time and I was home for 150 days. And I said, boy, this is great. I need to get back here. This is where it needs to be. And, uh, you know, but I wasn't gonna do it last year because I knew last year was gonna be a, a, a crazy year. I didn't, just didn't feel like I wanted to leave, leave anybody in the lurch on that. So we go back up and then, you know, at, when we spilled into 2021, I, I informed everyone that, hey, I was gonna leave at the end of the semester. And so that's what I did. And then I get back here and, and I'm just going to be the, the helper guy. I'm going to be the guy that, uh, you know, can be on call, whoever needs, you know, some good help, which everybody can always use. 
And, uh, and then, then this job opened up. I, mean, I knew the guy who had been here a long time, Eric Hutchinson, great guy. And, but he, he was leaving uh, to move on to a family uh, opportunity for him. And it just kind of fell in my lap and I looked into it and it looked like a great deal. So, and, and I'm, an, I'm an assistant AD for the first time. So I'm in on, um, in on the administration level there a little bit. And that's, that's a great opportunity. Uh, I had a great assistant here, uh, Chris Cannon. He's done a great job. Uh, but he's, he's moving on in a couple of weeks. I just found out. So I'm going to be in Nicole Holcomb scramble mode uh, here in about two weeks. Uh, so anybody looking, you know, let me know about that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. I, I really enjoyed the time at Colgate. Uh, we built some great teams there, you know, and, and I, I really, that, that became my, my favorite part of the job is always the we won and the we lost of it. But I really enjoyed um, having, you know, real rock stars and come through the office and move on to bigger and better. I mean, that, that was a real sense of, real source of pride for me. Uh, we've got folks all over the place doing some great things, you know, put, uh, Duke football and Penn State basketball and TCU and Army and, and you know, I'm, I'm leaving out folks, you know, but that, that was a real source of pride for me. And, and I, 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 I wanted people to come in for a short time, if that's what it took, and move on to bigger and better, you know, because we were a small school and there was a lot of opportunity out there. But, uh, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's just, as Nicole said, it's all about buying in. You got to get there into your new situation and you buy in and, and you, you know, Hey, it's all, all on deck. Here's, here's who we got. Let's go forward. And uh, so that's a little bit of my story. Uh, I, I'm happy to answer any questions there, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really super happy. Got lucky to land here in Maryville, which is four miles from my house versus 796 miles from, you know, closer, you know, than I was before. So, you know, I commuted a hundred miles round trip. I can't imagine 1500 miles round trip. That's, uh, that's that definitely, you can't that's lease a car in that situation. That's, that's for it. sure. Uh, point that John brought up and I want to bring in Nicole Sassage and also Nate on this. Um, something that kind of jumped out to me in that conversation is, you know, making those connections with the people in the building, you know, the people who know the building, the people who have been there and whether it's someone who's currently there or maybe it's your predecessor, maybe it's someone you can talk to. Who are some of those people you're really able to lean on as those resources as you look to, to grow in a new role? You want me or Nate? To yeah, if you want to go right ahead. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll say I, I lean heavily on the, the support of my circle of um, mentors that I've, I've created um, over the, since 2016. Um, just lean heavily on them to for for guidance, whether it's um, definitely professional and all, if the relationship grows into a personal one, um, and just lean on them and see what what might if it aligns with my goals, the things that I'm trying to do. Um, in, in terms of of transitioning, um, just being open and candid about those conversations about what I I want to do, um, and 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 making the list to say, hey, this is how. This is how I envision the next three months, the next six months, the next year. Um, how would I get there? Um, so I, I know I lean heavily on um, my predecessor when I was at um, Old Westbury for, for guidance um, to, to get me into the game in the first place. And then when it was time for the next step, leaning on um, the, um, the relationship that I built with my mentee, um, my mentor, sorry, and with the Cosida membership. Um, so uh, just having those candid conversations and, and then now that I'm here at Delaware, um, my, my immediate direct support um, report 
Denise Thompson and, and leaning on her and just bouncing ideas off of her, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and then also the teammates that I have here because I'm also learning what um, our work style is here. Um, so just having those candid conversations, building those relationships, building the rapport, um, and just being open and transparent about what I know and what I don't know, you know, just being open, honest, and humble about it. Nate, I want to bring in Nate here on this too, you know, talk about the importance of, you know, researching the job and the location, you know, knowing that both are what works for you. Um, yeah, so for me, I had always wanted to get into the Division One space, so I've looked at a lot of jobs and this one stood out. I like the location. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. So I really like being in and around cities compared to Melbourne, which is a small city, big town, if you want to say so. So I know the location was right, but then they were, uh, they had a new incoming commissioner and in Jeff Jackson. I talked to one of my mentors and a committee member that I'm on with for MOA. And she said he was a good guy. I would learn a lot from him. He has a lot of connections. It was something I was comfortable with doing as it still is in the communication space. So I thought everything aligned perfectly and it was that perfect step I was looking for. Awesome. Uh, Nicole Holcomb, I wanna to go to you on this. You know, moving is not fun. I, I'm doing it right now. I'm driving in the morning to finish the move up in Pennsylvania. And one thing I've learned moving to another part of the country, another region of the country on short notice is all the things I didn't factor in beforehand. You know, when you're moving to a new place, um, what are some of the things people can prepare for if they haven't been in that situation before? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about doing your research, making sure that you know where you're going. Um, I'll, I will say I probably did my moving situation in not the best way. Um, in the sense that I was not able to come to Eastern New Mexico because of COVID and the restrictions that New Mexico had at the time. So I basically accepted my job, packed up my life in North Carolina, and I drove for three days to New Mexico, never having been to New Mexico before. Um, I think part of it was the people who were at Eastern New Mexico already, I was able to talk to them a lot had a ton of questions. They were all super helpful, um, helped me find a place to live, did the research on, you know, is this a place I'd like? Can I, you know, be in a town in kind of the middle of nowhere, New Mexico? Um, you know, I've been in smaller places before, so I knew I could do it. Um, I think you have to think of the things um, that are important to you and really say, is this place going to give me that? If you're a big city person, you're probably not going to want to move to, you know, Portales, New Mexico, because it's not the big city. Um, if you're, you know, a small town person, you're probably not going to want to move to some place like New York City. Um, so I think that it's just knowing what you're getting into and asking as many questions as you can of the people who are already there, you know, pick people's brains. And I think you also, you know, ask them, be completely honest. Tell me the positives. Tell me the negatives, because I think if you only hear positives, you're going to come in and you might be a little jaded about where you end up landing. Um, so I think it's just, you know, keep all of that in mind and really think long and hard of, is this a place where you can see yourself and where you can flourish? I, I definitely agree as someone who has spent part of his career in New York City, part of it in rural Pennsylvania, and also now in, in Richmond. Uh, I think finding what is right for you. And, you know, I think we're in a position as an industry now where 
that's an important thing. I think we've seen over the last 18 months how much more there is than just, okay, do I like my office setup? Do I like the facilities here? Do I like um, the sports I'm working with? I think there's really a factor um, that I think went undervalued for a long time in terms of you have to be happy with the whole experience and not just the job, the physical job itself. I think that's a really good point. Uh, we have questions coming in from the audience. We're really excited about that. Uh, we're going to go to one of these real quick. I'm going to open uh, to Nicole Sassy, Jim, on this. Uh, question from someone getting started in your first full-time position. What would you give for advice for someone to get acclimated in those first few months in that position? Um, that's a tough question. Um, it, it's a good question, too. So I appreciate it coming in. Um, it, for a person that's done it maybe three times in the last two years, um, I say be very patient with yourself, gracious with yourself, um, that it, it take things day by day. Uh, you, you could get very overwhelmed very quickly if you try to ta take over the world at, in one month. Just, just try to break things down what's most important no my favorite thing to do is do a to-do list um so i could i could be proud of when i cross something off and then i know that i'm adding more to it um but you just want to be very gracious with yourself and very patient with yourself um ask questions this is the time that you're building the rapport with your with your coaches with your staff um with your colleagues um and the student athletes um and, and you want to be able to be very transparent about also the things that you know, because you're coming in with knowledge, you wouldn't get the job if you weren't capable of doing it. So having that confidence in yourself that you're able to do the job also. Um, and then just taking it day by day. That's, that's the best advice I could give on that one. And then to follow up for Nicole and also to Nate on this afterwards, um, the challenge is starting remote and just how, how you've managed that. And Nicole, if you want to go first, Matt. Nicole, South you. Oh, me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the I actually enjoy being um, part in the office and part remotely. Um, I find myself being able to still get the job done with, um, with it. But I've, I've been very fortunate that, again, I have a supervisor that's very understanding that I am commuting from New York to Delaware and going back and forth. Um, so being able to still just have a laptop and internet to do work is great. Um, I'm still building the relationships that I need to build with the, with the student athletes, with the coaches and my colleagues um, via text, via email, via um, phone call. It's still happening. That connections are still happening. So I believe that COVID has opened our eyes that we're capable of doing our job um, remotely. So it, we shouldn't shy away from doing that. Um, but it, I, I've gotten used to it. I appreciate the fact that we do have this additional um, resource to get in the work done. So, and going to Nate, just on your experience on the conference side now and how that's been managed. Okay, yeah. So on the conference side, after spending six years on the school side, it's interesting to see the difference. So all the problems that you have on the school side are different than on the conference side and vice versa. So the priority priorities are much different, be it you're worrying about your stats or anything along those lines, while the conference has more of the overarching macro view of everything and making sure all the member institutions are well taken care of 
compared to while you're on the school side, it's only your one sport up to say 12, 15, however many you're overlooking. So it gives you a better view on what both sides look like. You know, one of the unique, one of the unique elements I think to job changes in 2021 is how much of it is done remotely. Uh, I, I interviewed remotely, I started remotely and I'm currently uh, moderating this webinar from an apartment five minutes from my office. So I think it's a different, it's a different feel really to going through the job process. I think with a lot of these jobs right now, uh, I was lucky, I'm very fortunate to have some coworkers I knew previously, a, a commissioner who's a great person and called me the other night to check in to see how things were going. And, and I, can't, I can't overstate the importance of communication. You know, we, we talk about culture and going back to that. It's tough to build a culture um, when, when you're not face-to-face and you don't know the people around you, how they operate and their expectations. I, I think we're, we're a profession of communicators that really prides ourselves in that. And I think it's valuable to over-communicate a little bit right now. You know, if, you've, if you're just hiring people, if you're a supervisor is hiring people you don't see on a day-to-day basis, if you're someone who um, is new to an office and you're trying to learn, okay, what are my boss's expectations here? Pick up the phone schedule a Zoom. You know, I think sometimes things don't translate well via text or via email. I think Nicole Sassichin brought up a great point about not being too tough on yourself about if you know, you make a mistake those first couple of weeks or something. I mean, we're all, we're all learning. We're all navigating a lot right now too. And I think to have that level of communication is essential right now as we're not operating in a traditional office setting. Um, I think that's really important. And John, if you want to kind of touch on that with, you know, kind of your experience and being multiple places at once and the importance of communication with your staff. Uh, you mean being away from home? That kind of yeah, like being in multiple, like how, like there's a weekend you're down in Maryville, you got to, when you were still up at Colgate, you got to communicate with your staff. And make yeah, sure that's right. That. I mean, I, uh, I was mostly at Colgate. You know, but yeah, we obviously are all, are away at, at times, and we're not, you know, we're not disappearing for two weeks. You know, so yeah, there, there's that. I mean, you know, that's just a trust factor of of your staff. You know, that they can take care of things while you're gone. I mean, you know, you you've got to have that trust. You got to have the, you know, if you don't have that, then you probably should have a different staff. You know, a different staff lineup. You know? But uh, yeah, you know, I, I I trust my staff. I was always one that you know really informed, kept the staff informed. Um, if I knew something, unless my boss told me, do not tell everyone, okay? Otherwise, I walked right out of my staff meeting and told them, hey, here's what's going on. Here I got the, and I even, we would have weekly meetings and I would have a list from that earlier morning meeting. Here's all what's going on. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a communication job. That's just what it is. That's this job's communication job, which is the, to me, the best part of it. It's a great part of it. Um, and that means, ta- you know, talking to your staff, as you, as you just said it, you said it, over-communicate. I don't use that word enough, but that's, that's, that's the perfect word, perfect description for it, over-communicate. We have a, a lot of questions rolling in here. We definitely want to get to all of them throughout this webinar. You know, one, I'm going to go to Nicole Holcomb first on this. What advice would you give to someone that recently received a promotion, uh, but is now kind of realizing and experiencing that part of that promotion is um, not having enough support in the office? and not having the staffing needed. Yeah, I mean, I kind of was thrown into that a little bit here when I got to Eastern, just in the fact that, you know, I was not expecting to, to be the boss in the office. I was not expecting for it to be, you know, 
me running the show. Um, I think it's just one of those things you kind of have to, you know, accept it and, you know, do your best. I think the other thing too, is though that, you know, when that happened and I was, you know, pretty much on my own for the entire spring and we started playing again, um, that I was very open and honest with not only my coaches, but also my, you know, administration, uh, my AD that, you know, there, I can't do it all. It, it's just not possible. Um, you know, there are some things that are going to have to, you know, go by the wayside, maybe some things that have been done previously that aren't going to be able to be done now. We're going to have to simplify some things. Um, and, you know, luckily I had support and administration that understood that and that was supportive of that. Um, so I think that it's just, you know, you have to have those conversations and you need to be honest about the things that you are able to do and aren't able to do. Just because you're now, you know, the boss doesn't mean that, you know, you magically can do everything. Um, so I think just kind of having those conversations, but in the same time, advocate for yourself, advocate for this, for the fact that you need, you need another person or you need more help. Um, I think that's one thing that it's important, you know, kind of maybe make a list of, you know, these are the things that I do. These are the things that I'm not able to do that I'd love for our office to be able to do, you know, these are my hours week in and week out. If you're working 78, 80 hours a week, tell them and say, you know, I think that goes to show that one person shouldn't be having to work 80 hours a week and there's a need for more support and more help. Um, so I think it's really, you know, it's scary sometimes to go to your AD and to, you know, have those conversations, but it's also important to know that you need to advocate for yourself if you want there to be a change. I think that's a great point. And, you know, I think we've seen a lot of schools um, for one reason or another, adding sports uh, over the last few years. And we're seeing a lot of that uh, growth in sports, but reduction in staff. And I think that's something that in all of our roles, we need to be advocating for, okay, we need more help here. Like there's now 35 sports and there's two of us. Like we gotta, we gotta bring this back up in order to do that. And kind of going to John on this, how do you have that conversation without it sounding like a complaint? How do you have that conversation of, no, in order to do what we want to do, um, we need the staff. And John, if you want to unmute yourself. Uh, one thing we did was we had a, every, every May, we had a year-end meeting, kind of wrap up the year, you know, May, I say May at Colgate because we were kind of done. Um, so yeah, we would have a year-end meeting what, what is still working and what are things that we've been doing that we maybe shouldn't be doing them anymore? Maybe, you know, because it's easy just to keep rolling in and doing things. But if you keep adding and adding, you have to subtract also. So we, that, we, we took that meeting to kind of throw everything out on the table there and, and see what, what, what stuff that, you know, that we, we've been doing that forever. I don't think people, I don't think people are using those anymore. I don't think that's a, that's a factor, you know. Uh, it might, it might've been, uh, Game day, uh, game day previews. So we turned that into just a, a more of a graphic form. And here's what's going on today uh, versus having five previews. You know, we just didn't think people were reading those. And uh, so we found a better way to put our links and really what people want, you know, where are the links that, that I need for the game. So yeah, I think that's just, a, that's just a fair exercise, whether you do that monthly or quarterly or yearly. You know, I think you should have that exercise and What's still working? What are some things that maybe we can, you know, get, get rid of? Because sometimes you got to make those tough decisions. If they want to keep, they want to add these two things. Okay, what are we taking away? I think that that's a valuable point. You know, one conversation we had when I got to my last on-campus job 
where I told, we had a coach who really wanted media guides. And I was like, coach, it's 2020. We're one of two schools in our mid-major league that's doing media guides. This is how much time I spend on the media guide. This is how much time I can help with social media that I would lose if I'm not, if I'm doing a media guide. I think once you have those direct conversations with your coaches and your admins of, there's still only 168 hours in a day, in a week, not in a day. I wish there weren't a day. Uh, but how do we use those the best we can? I uh, want to go to Nicole Sassi-Chuma on this question. What steps have you taken to help with work-life balance when stepping into a new job with new responsibilities and new commitments? Um, this is... How oh, better? You're good. Okay. Um, this was a huge thing for me for the simple fact that um, COVID opened my eyes to the fact that this is something that's very important to me. Um, being able to still produce the best level of work and also have a life where I can spend time with my family and my friends. Um, it, during this transition, especially, this made the most sense for me because I went from covering 23 sports to five. So that alone just frees up time to be able to still do great work, but also have time to have a life outside of what we do. Um, so I'm very strategic about how I spend my time. So I had to force myself I, in the time that I come in and put a timer on how long tasks take um, and then move on to the next thing. And then mat maximize that eight hours that I'm in the office where there's a um, non-game day or not. Um, and then saying, hey, I need to go out and go get, get away from the computer, go run around, do what I need to do, whether it's errands, whether it's spending time with family or social life or whatever case may have you, if there's any important appointments that you're supposed to take. Um, and being mindful of that, um, being mindful of my emotional health, my physical health, my spiritual health. Um, that was all, that all came out during COVID. And I needed to make sure that I was in a place that aligned, that, that aligned with what I'm trying to do and staying healthy. Um, my mental health is a huge thing. If I'm not good mentally, I'm not going to be great at work. So I needed to be very, very intentional with everything that I do and how I spend my time and how I utilize the resources that I have um, so that I continue to be present when I'm at work and then be present with my family. Um, so just being, and, and then at the same time, like we've all been saying for the last 31 minutes, being transparent with your coaches, your, your colleagues, your immediate supervisor about where you are. Um, I, I always have a check-in for myself where three months, six months, nine months, a year, where am I? And does it still align with my core values? Um, and having those transparent conversations with people that I care about and that care about me and making sure that I'm not in, in, not in no longer in alignment. Because if I'm no longer in alignment, I need somebody to check me to say that I'm no longer in alignment and then bring myself back to it. So just, just those were the intentional steps that I've taken um, and utilizing the resources that are around me. I, I think, you know, I think that's something that a lot of us have talked about over the last 18 months. I remember two weeks into all, us, all of us being shut down from spring sports and I'm texting my best friend in the industry. I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle at my kitchen table. I'm like, 
I could get used to having Saturdays. Like those would be a cool thing to have. Like, is this what people do on Saturdays? And I don't think people do jigsaw puzzles. I think it was more a COVID thing. Uh, but I think we kind of all had our eyes open to the fact that, you know, there's more than spending 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. on a Saturday going nonstop without even having lunch. Um, I think that's something that we've all grown to value a little more. That kind of goes into our next question. Um, I want to go to Nate first on this one, then I'm going to touch on this one a little bit, is if you've worked at the school level and you're thinking about transitioning to the conference level in the future, um, how do you do this and what is the best advice that can be given? And how does that work work-life balance as well? Network. I mean, for me, I found my job through Twitter. And personally, as communications professionals, I think Twitter is probably the best medium for finding like-minded individuals in our profession, even over LinkedIn. And I think it gives you a valuable insight that you don't get on a lot of the other platforms that you can actually kind of see the positives and the negatives of working somewhere because they're going to vent when they're upset. They're going to express happiness and jubilation when they succeed. So I think that's the best way. And like I said, one of my um, coworkers put up the job posting on Twitter. I DM'd her, got the email for my current boss and just went through the process that way, which streamlined it more so than most other ways going through the job applications and trying to get through an applicant tracking system that might kick you out, even though you're qualified for it. Going through those, skipping those steps definitely help. And in terms of work-life balance, I definitely do think it's better on the conference side, albeit I'm still sharing social media responsibilities. So I am doing work at night. I'm getting to do it from my couch. I can talk to my wife. I can hang out with my animals, my dogs and everything like that compared to being at school and experiencing burnout because I'm working 60 to 80 hours a week and barely ever really get to spend time at home except to sleep. I think those are all really valuable things, you know, finding those ways to find out about jobs that others may not have the opportunity to. I think one thing that I've definitely experienced having been on both sides, having gone from the school side to the conference side this year is be the SID in your conference that works well with the conference office. Be the one who is that first one to get back to, hey, we need a photo for this holiday. Hey, uh, we want to get one of our coaches on a Zoom because we have these two teams that won big games last night. Be someone who works well with your conference office. I think we all know. We've all been doing this long. This is a small profession. And I think a lot of us all know each other. And I think being, if you do have those aspirations to work on the conference side, be the SID in your conference who's there for your conference office because I think that makes a world of difference when those times roll around. Uh, we have a couple more questions we wanna to get to. Uh, one, one right here um, that I think we're all dealing with to a various extent over the last 18 months, which is that we're all natural workaholics in this profession. Uh, has anyone ever gotten that burned out feeling of just, I can't do this? Um, it seems this person, they're, they're getting frustrated, they're getting burned out, especially for September. Is anyone, you know, how have you dealt with that, especially when it's hit early in the year? Nicole Holcomb, I want to go to you first on this. Um, I think a big thing, and I can say I've definitely, I've been there. Um, I definitely was at the point. Um, I very seriously considered getting out of the business, just being done with athletics in general. Um, I think that 
for me personally, I had to kind of take a step back and I had to say, am I burnt out because of the job in general? Am I burnt out because where I am is not the best fit for me anymore? Um, and so I think you kind of, you have to take the, take a step back and really, really think about it. Um, for me personally, it ended up being that um, I needed a place that was a better fit for me personally. Um, you know, you're not going to have a fit everywhere you go. And sometimes it takes some time to figure that out. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I ended up saying, you know, I need to look at other opportunities. I need to try and find a place that maybe is, is going to be a little better for me, you know, work-wise, personally, mentally, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I'd say that's, that's really important. And, and sometimes too, you, if, you know, I definitely am a workaholic. I, I work a lot. I'm, I pride myself on that, but it's not always the best thing. Maybe it's not something we should pride ourselves on that, you know, wearing that badge of honor. I worked 80 hours this week because that, that's not good, <laughs> you know, for anyone in any profession. Um, so I'd say, you know, maybe, you know, talk with your AD and say, you know, I worked all weekend and for me, I really need to take a day off during the week. And maybe that'll help you become, you know, not feel as burnt out and not as frustrated and stressful because the longer you go feeling like that, you're probably going to have a bit of a break. You're, you're going to have a moment where kind of everything boils and comes to a head and it, it's not going to be a good situation for you. I, th I think that's a, a valuable thing. Uh, Nicole Sassichum, Nate, if either of you want to touch on that, just kind of knowing kind of where your limit is and knowing how to take a step back. Nicole, if you want to go first. Um, like I said, I have a, I have a circle of, of SID friends that I lean on heavily that I could have this open and transparent conversation about where I am and also managing expectations. You can't do everything for everyone at that moment. Um, even though, you know, you want to, that's just our nature. That's why we're in this profession, you know? Um, but I, I have that part of this, this being very intentional about checking in with myself and my mental health. I have those moments where the, the, the cue of the anxiety goes up. That means there's something wrong that I need to slow down and be able to figure it out. And um, leaning on the people and the relationships that I've, um, that I've cultivated um, and saying, hey, like this isn't, I'm not feeling right. Um, I need a day or I, I need two days. Um, and I'm fortunate to have that. I was fortunate to, to build, to being very intentional in building those relationships. So, um, and taking it easy. I think I started the conversation off with being very gracious with yourself and being very patient with yourself. Um, it is something that we, we should be intentional to do while we're in this profession, especially the fact that, um, a lot of institutions are trying to go back to regular scheduled programming before um, COVID. Um, so you, you have to be able to, to check in with yourself and advocate for yourself if you are feeling burnt out so that people know that you need to take care of yourself first, because then you won't be able to do the job that you want to do. Nate, if you want to add to that. I think communication is key. Like a lot of them said, you have to be able to communicate either mostly internally to the people you work with. You got to learn to be able to say no, because you can't do everything I Feel like when I first started I wanted to try to do everything tried to be the superman but really what happens is everybody expects more of you and you get less time for yourself so at some point you have to learn to say no and manage expectations 
while also doing your job to the best of your ability, then communicating with either your boss or your whoever in your network that, hey, I need some time. Yeah, I worked four games this weekend or we had a tournament that ran two or three days. I need a day off. I'm tired. I need to go do my laundry. I need to do whatever normal things that people would do after five o'clock. Then also I would suggest if you have a phone that's like a work phone or something, set a time where if you don't have any games at night, you turn it off or you put it away and you don't look at it because you shouldn't have to be available 24 seven unless something really bad happens. Make sure the people that immediately need you have your actual phone number. I think as we've touched on a lot of topics here, I think being better at putting ourselves first, I think is something that that's really important. And that kind of brings me into my next thing. And I'm just going to preface this by saying I'm terrible at this. So I want to go to John on this because I can't answer this question. Um, we're an industry of people who always want to help other people, you know, possibly to our own detriment sometimes. Uh, when you've moved to a new job, especially if you're leaving a job that you felt really connected with somewhere you were for a long time, how do you reach that point of, you know, letting go, like not answering questions every day of where is this? How do I do this? How do you let go of the old job without feeling guilty and lock in on the new one? Yeah, well, we have, we've just been, uh, you know, folks back at Colgate, they've had questions every now and then. I'm happy to answer them because I'm, I've got questions here at Maribel, you know, and we've, we've gotten uh, answers from, uh, from Eric, you know, and so, and Chris has been here. He, he knows the ropes that he's tired of carrying me around. I know, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to have that uh, two-way street, but you know, it's, it's just going to naturally happen. You know, they they're concentrating on their games. I'm not paying attention to what they have. I don't know what they have tonight. You know, you just move on, especially with I've got my own teams now. And that, that just naturally happens. And uh, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been to a case where it's, it's burdensome by any stretch. If they need to know, hey, what do you usually do for this or that? I'm happy to answer those questions. Um, you know, thankfully, that, like I said, thankfully, it's not been every five minutes the situation. But uh, you know, that, that I left, you know, we, I left there as great terms, you know, and I'm here on great terms. So I, I've been lucky in that regard. I know it won't always be that way, but I've been lucky that we could, I can get questions answered and I can help them if I need to, need to do that. So. And I think that does go off a little bit when we talk about how small our industry is and how we all do want to help each other, you know, going to Nicole, to Nicole and to Nate on this, uh, if any of you want to chime in, which is maybe an experience you kind of had to cut, cut off. And like, be like, okay, you guys are good. You've got your staff now, go. Have, have you dealt with this and just kind of how you've managed it? I think like I've only had one move since I was at my, my alma mater. But like for me, when I was done there, my final day, I knew I had given everything that I could. Like they had everything ready for them for the season. So I think that made it easier. Like I didn't feel I had any loose strings left to give them that they needed answered. Yeah, I still get an odd question every now and then, maybe a password for one of the social medias or something like that. But other than that, all the big things were done when I left. So when I left, I could just focus on my new job, focus on myself, focus on my move and everything else and feel at peace that I did everything I could during that time. I think that's a valuable thing. I think you bring up a funny point with the social media passwords and stuff. There is a job I worked out, I guess, four or five years ago now, 
And I kept getting Twitter two-factor authentication codes in the middle of one of my own games. I was like, what Twitter account are we locked? I texted the whole staff, like, what Twitter account are we locked out of? And my old grad assistant texted me, he's like, yeah, we're locked out of the lacrosse Twitter. I'm like, okay, here you go. <laughs> so remember to update those phone numbers before you leave. Otherwise, you're going to freak out and think you're locked out of Twitter. Uh, we have another question from the audience here. Um, have time for a couple more questions. Definitely appreciate everyone taking their their time to, to tune in today and to uh, to give their question or ask their questions. Uh, I want to go to Nicole Sasachum on this first. How do you answer? You know, when your boss you ask what you need you need direction on what's important. And they say it's all important. How, how do you kind of manage the not getting burned out with a supervisor or a coworker who expects to do 100 hours of work in 50 hours? Um, I don't know if there's a good answer. <laughs> I think, and I think it does depend on, you go back to the rapport you have with your coworkers yeah. and your supervisors. So. Um, I'm good for saying, Yes, I know that how to respond and I'll be able to take lead in it. And yeah. I'm also good for saying, mm, I'm not too sure if I should be the person to take lead. Um, I could assist the best way I can. Um, and then also being very, and being transparent. Um, again, I'm fortunate that I built a relationship with my immediate supervisor where I'm able to say, hey, this is what's on my plate. And she's able to say, this is what's on my plate. And then we go back and forth and saying, all right, so we need to tackle this because this is the most important. It goes back to that to-do list. It goes back to um, saying, all right, this is what's important. This is, the, this is when it's supposed to get out and then start crossing them off that list. Um, I, that's, that's what's been working for me since COVID started. I'll be transparent and say that I wasn't like this before COVID. Um, I was, my hair was on fire and I was trying to say, I was saying yes to everything and not having enough time to do it. Um, but now I'm just being very intentional. It's just like, that doesn't, that's not as important right now. It'll get done, but it can't be done in this moment that you're asking me because this takes precedence and just being um, firm on that. Um, again, that took time for me to build that confidence to be able to say no, not right now. Well, not really no, like not right now. We could revisit in the future, um, and then just just keep plugging away. Um, again, I try not to bite off too much than I could chew, and just try and just keep plugging away, um, and just being transparent with my immediate supervisor and my colleagues because we're all in the same boat. Um, we, we try to help each other out the best way we can, and then we still have a job to do. And I think a big part of that too, is knowing how and when you work best. You know, I think there are some people who get up at 5am and they power through a bunch of stuff right then. There's some people, um, who they're sending emails at 1230 in the morning and it's for no other reason than the kids are to bed. They can worry about that stuff at that point. And I think it isn't the same for everyone. Uh, but I think finding those times and those ways that you're at your most productive is going to make what feels like a 90 hour week actually be a 60 or whatever it is, because you're actually at full steam throughout that time. And that's something I was always terrible at. You know, I would get up early and I just not really be productive and kind of work through the day. But I think finding the times that are good for you and finding the, you talk about to-do lists and things like that, that I think are essential uh, in being organized and using your time uh, productively. 
it seems simple, but it's definitely something that, uh, once again, is also easier for those of us who are working from home. Um, I think eliminating distractions. And I think that's something that makes a great case um, for you know a hybrid work environment or whatever it may be in some of these settings where we don't need um, to be at our desk at 8.30 on Monday morning after volleyball just played five sets to 35 each uh, the day before. So I think that's something that we can, uh, we can find value in. We're gonna get to one more question here and then uh, we're gonna wrap things up just after that. You know, as a grad assistant, I wanna go, uh, Nicole and Nicole, I wanna go to both of you on this. As a grad assistant, how do you set yourself apart from other GAs and other applicants to stand out in the job hiring process? Nicole Holcomb, I'm gonna to go to you and then Nicole. Yeah, so I know for me, I actually kind of worked, I did some internships before I went to be a GA. Um, so that kind of definitely helped me when I, I landed my GA job. I already had, you know, two years of experience and kind of was able to hop in um, a little bit faster, I'd say. Um, and then while I was um, in my GA role, I really tried to just take ownership of things. And I was really lucky that my boss um, at Endicott he really let me take the reins on a lot of sports. I was the primary contact for six sports. I was running games by myself. I was, you know, really trying to be as self-sufficient as I could. Obviously there were some things I still needed help with from him and, um, you know, questions and things like that. But I think that being able to show that um, while you were a GA, you did take that ownership. You know, you can run a game and run student student helpers by yourself. Um, I think that that really helps you stand apart. Um, and I can definitely say that, you know, now that I'm in roles where I'm looking to hire people and I'm seeing resumes and, and looking at that kind of stuff, it definitely does stand out um, for me personally looking at that. And I think just, you know, get as many opportunities as you can. Um, I definitely, I freelanced while I was a GA. I would go to other places and I would work you know, for other schools in the area, um, just, you know, to meet people, to get, um, you know, new connections and things like that. I think that can also be really helpful to you down the line um, and just showing that you're, you know, willing to help out wherever you are needed. And Nicole, to add to that. Um, I agree with everything that Nicole said. I did the same exact thing. Um, I was just a sponge. I just wanted to know everything and everyone at any moment I could. Um, and I was just extremely hungry to get that next opportunity. Um, and I and that shows. Um, I'm a big believer in it's not who you know. Um, it, it's, it's, people are always watching you. It's who you know. It's what you do and what you're capable of doing. Um, yeah, so I've, I've always had the mentality that you never know who's watching you. Um, and, and they're just being mindful of the things that you're doing. They're being very intentional with the relationships that you're um, cultivating and just being the sponge. Um, you want to learn as much as you can, um, as quickly as you can. You want to be a great help in the office for, for that, um, that SID that is training you. Um, and then I, that SID is going to turn around and, and look out for you because of the quality of work that you've done. Um, so yeah, and network, network, build relationships. That is the biggest thing, build relationships. And going off what both of you said on that, I think Nicole Holcomb made a really good point on this. Go work games at other schools. You know, go and especially when you're a GA and you don't have much money, go do stats at another school. I mean, that 
that $25 you would have spent by going out on a Saturday night, you can go make $60 or $70 instead, and you can make some valuable connections. Go work NCA tournaments as a volunteer. Go work conference tournaments. Some of the best connections I made in my career are doing those things when I was 22, 23 years old, taking the, the subway up to, to CCNY and doing basketball PA on a Saturday while everyone else is out in Manhattan is a big part of those connections you build and uh, still find time for fun, but those opportunities that other people are passing up can make a huge, um, a huge difference a year or two into your career. Uh, I think those are all really, Nicole, go ahead. Yeah, I'm still freelancing. Yeah, I am too. Like it's something, and we we all know about where this industry is. Like, we can all use an extra sixty, seventy dollars to go go do stats for a game on a Saturday. I think none of us are turning that down. So uh, I think this was an incredible conversation. Some people who can really add a lot to what a lot of us in our profession are dealing with right now. I want to go to one final takeaway uh, from everyone in this group: the most valuable thing that you want to instill upon people and in similar situations, starting with Nate, then Nicole Holcomb, John, and Nicole Sassett-Jim. Nate. I would say take care of yourself first. You have to make sure that you're at peace with your decision and everything that comes with it. So be it leaving your old school to coming into a new situation that fits you, make sure everything works for you and it pushes your career in the way that you wanna go forward. Nicole Holcomb. Um, yeah, I'd say, you know, build relationships with the people wherever you're, you know, starting fresh, um, build those relationships with your admins so that you can have open and honest conversations when you need to. John. Uh, learned at uh, Cosida one summer, I remember this, uh, take 12 hours off after your event. If you're at a nighttime event, it keeps you there till 11, 1130. You really shouldn't be in the office the next day till lunchtime. Okay, I know things are going to happen. Sometimes you have a nine o'clock conference deadline. I get that. But I'm, talking, I'm not talking about those days. I'm talking about the days when you really don't have anything, any meeting with the AD, anything like that. Give yourself 12 hours off. That's a, that's a real key to your mental health. Nicole? Same as Nate. Take care of yourself. Be gracious with yourself. Be patient with yourself. Um, your decision, if you decide to transition, make sure it aligns with your core values. Awesome. This was a great conversation. I really want to thank uh, Nathaniel Gale from Missouri Valley Conference, Nicole Holcomb, Eastern New Mexico, John Painter from Maryville, Nicole Sassett-Jim from Delaware, I'm Miles McQuiggan from the Colonial Athletic Association. We'd like to give a big thanks to our presenters today for the discussion and insights. And again, thanks to Capital One for sponsoring COSIDA's professional development and education programming. We encourage you to check COSIDA.com for updated information on what's on tap for COSIDA continuing education this year. We'll continue our Teachable Tuesdays series next month, but on Thursday, the Canadian Athletic Communicators will kick off their monthly CanSIDA webinars, posting a session on return to competition. Are you ready for the new normal? At 2 p.m. Eastern, it's open to everyone, not just Canadian members. Additionally, for those who are interested in more advanced leadership and strategic communications track, we've introduced our first Leadership COSIDA programming. This exclusive series, which we are offering for $125, will run throughout the year with a series of 10 podcasts, webinars, and videos. You'll hear from national leaders in college and pro sports and national leaders in communications. This is our most senior level programming, and we invite all members to join in. Details are at cosida.com. Thank you.